Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. Glad to be here with you all. With you all. If you brought a Bible, go ahead and open it to the book of Luke as we continue in our series. If you're using the Pew Bible, it'll be page 876. We'll be in chapter 17, verses 7 to 19. Before I read this, um, just a, a couple of things. This is uh, uh, two parables here. This whole section flows together, and I'm not going to begin to explain all of that, but just to say that these two parables help us understand each other, and we're going to look at them together. Um, this one of the lepers, though, is very unique to Luke, and it's not in any other gospel. And it sits here more than anything as an illustration in and of itself of where Israel is, and uh, perhaps maybe where some of us are too as well, just in our, um, our need to give thanks, but in many ways our unwillingness to do so. Uh, so with that in mind, let us give our attention to God's word found in the book of Luke beginning in verse 7 of chapter 17. And Jesus says this, he says, Will any one of you, this is speaking to his disciples, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. We pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us uh, this day. We thank you, Lord, that it is uh, truth and has the ability to change us. And so we ask you to help us this morning, both to learn and to be changed by your spirit. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. A little more than a month ago, I was uh, taking May to her soccer game, and this was on Saturday, and um, the way that our family weekend was planned out, it was just me with her and Ada with the other girls, and by the time the game was over, you know, I was feeling pretty good about the way May played. I was proud of her, and as any dad, I wanted to reward her, so I said, what, what better way to do that than to go get... A milkshake at McDonald's, right? That's what you were thinking Is that before I said that, I'm sure. So we pull in the drive-thru and, May, what, what kind do you want? You know, you pick it. And I don't know if she said vanilla or chocolate. I should have remembered that. I think vanilla. But then I had this great idea. I said, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good today. Why don't we surprise your sisters with milkshake, milkshakes too? And actually, to my surprise, she said yes. You know, that'd be great. Usually, we want to hold on to the milkshake ourselves, and it's ours. But she said yes, and we were so happy about this. And we 
we, we weren't really sure which ones to get. So we got two chocolate and two vanilla and we're driving home and we get to the house. And I mean, think about this, right? I mean, dad of the month award about to be presented as I walk into the kitchen, May's got hers. And then here are the other three, you know, before this had no idea this was even going to happen. Well, you know what happened. Uh, immediately screaming, shouting. This is not what I wanted. Um, she got the chocolate. I wanted the chocolate. We started fighting over flavors that up until you know, a minute ago didn't even exist. And uh, one person will remain nameless on the floor crying. Not kidding. This is with all within three or four. This is actually pretty impressive now that I think about it. All of this in a matter of two, three minutes. Just pandemonium. And I, and I looked at May and I thought, I'm never doing this ever again in my life. Not ever, you know. Um, it was as if they were owed this and I didn't get the memo, right? You know, forget the fact that I was trying to surprise them. Um, then, you know, I, who thought I was getting the dad of the year award, right? I became immediately ungrateful for children and started, <laughs> started going through my contacts. Who are those friends that wanted to adopt? Let me see here. Um, amazing. Why is being grateful so hard? <laughs> Right, And of course, as a parent, this is what you say, but if you have any close reflection of your own life, you know why it's hard, right? As a high school student, I wasn't able to see my parents, right, for who or what they were besides two people who were supposed to meet my needs. I would say that it wasn't really until college that I became uh, aware of what what it looked like for them to take care of me, the sacrifices they made, to begin to appreciate what they were doing and had done for me to be grateful for that and how they raised my brother and I. And then as, I, as I've gotten even you know, married and as I've had children, I see more of the picture of what my parents did for me. And at 38, I can honestly say I deserve none of that. And, and even at this age, becoming more aware of what I didn't deserve, that they were willing to raise us and sacrifice for us in the face of ungratefulness, which also, as I'm learning, is what being a parent is all about, right? Serving in the face of ungratefulness. Um, We are going to look at gratitude this morning, and it's a subject that we all deal with, both personally, but we also deal with it in our daily lives as we interact with one another. Um, And we'll just be scratching the surface here on a subject that really demands way more time. But what I want us to look at is what makes us more ungrateful as we go through life, but what also has the ability to make us grateful, and then what the power is to change us into people who are more grateful. And what I want you to see is that the power to do that, as we read here, is knowing that we are servants to a master who um, we owe a debt to, and we are in, in service to. But what the gospel tells us is that this master becomes a servant himself for us and pays our debt, right? So that we might have life abundantly. That, that is not only the power for us to change, but that there is, is the heart of what makes us grateful. That we get to see Jesus become something he doesn't deserve, doesn't need to be in order to show us his love for us. What the parable of the ten lepers shows us is who we are, okay? While the parable of the unworthy servants shows us why we're that way, but how we can change, right? So let's look at those three things. What makes us ungrateful? What makes us grateful and how we change? So that first one, what makes us ungrateful? 
from our text this morning, what Jesus is saying to his disciples and what he is saying to us, I would submit to you, is that what makes us ungrateful is that there is something deep in our hearts as we go throughout life that says, I am owed something. The world owes me something, right? Somebody in my life owes me something. My life has not turned out the way that I had planned or wanted it to, and I am owed this. And it is ultimately the inner workings of pride in us. I love this quote from Henry Ward Beecher, who puts it this way. He says, pride slays thanksgiving, but a humble mind is the soil of which thanks naturally grow. A proud man is seldom a grateful man, for he never thinks he gets as much as he deserves. What's he saying? In other words, if you're someone who is, who is not getting what they think that they deserve, then what are you? You're someone walking around thinking that you're owed something. Right? Thinking that the world owes you something. And maybe it's your boss, right? He, this person has no idea how, much I, how hard I work you know, for this company. I deserve a raise. Could be a spouse. Does this, does this spouse of mine, right? Do, do they know how hard I work for this family? What I sacrifice? What I give up? Could be your kids, your friends. It could be God Himself. Whatever the case, what makes us ungrateful is we think we are owed something that we aren't getting and that we actually deserve it. And that we may never verbalize it. Deep in our hearts, our pride is saying, Do you know how much I do for this family? Do you know how much I have sacrificed for this company? Do you know, do you know, do you know? That is your pride, right? That's my pride. And that tells you you're not getting what you deserve. You're not being respected or appreciated as you should. And really this ultimately, when we begin to sit back and think about it, it really punishes us because all it does is it makes us ungrateful. It slays thanksgiving. And it destroys the soil from which humility grows and it eats away at us and it makes us more ungrateful by keeping us from seeing the gifts that God has actually given to us all. All right, so where do we see this in the text? Okay. We see this in the unworthy servants in verses 7 to 8. Jesus shares this parable to his disciples and he says, Suppose that you are a master who had servants. Now, we need to define that servants really quickly because uh, we have various definitions of what that means in our cultural context. But servants here would be more like indentured servants, right? If you went into debt and you had no way to pay this person, there was actually a way to justly rectify that debt. You would go into service to that person, you know, whether it be for six months or a year or two years or three years, whatever it would be, this is how the debt would be worked out. And then when your time was over, you're gone, you're free. Okay, so this is the relationship that Jesus is speaking into when he talks about servants and masters. So suppose you're the master, you have a servant who is in debt to you and is working that debt off as he or she should. When your servant comes in off the field, do you then say to that person, recline at table and take a load off, right? You've been working hard. No. Why? Because the servant is doing what he or she is supposed to do. They are in debt to you, and this is the most just thing, if you begin to think about it, that could happen in order for those debts to be paid. That is the relationship. So instead, of, instead you say, prepare the food, dress yourself appropriately, serve the meal, and then after that, you can eat as well. 
And this is why in verse 9, Jesus says, Does he then, talking about the master, thank the servant because he did what was commanded? Does he thank the servant who is already in debt to him, right, for doing what he is supposed to do? And the answer is no. And why is why Jesus in verse 10 finishes saying, You also. When you have done all that you were commanded, he puts them right back into the servant's role. When you have done all that you've commanded, say, we were unworthy servants. We were servants who owed this huge debt and couldn't pay. We have only done what was our duty. Okay? Here's the point. If you don't understand who you are in this story... If you don't see yourself as the unworthy servant because of the debt that you already owe, you will only then see yourself as the master or as the king. Thus, everyone around you then are servants in your world. This is what he's trying to show his disciples. That if you don't see yourself as the servant, but you see yourself either as the master or maybe you want to be the master, then everybody around you owes you. That's the attitude then that you'll have towards others and that's the point. What makes us more ungrateful then is, right, we feel that the world or God owes us something. We do not see our debt. We are, as Tim Keller puts it, servants who want to be kings and masters. So are you a servant or are you a master or king, right? Do you owe or does someone owe you? That's what Jesus is getting at in this parable to his disciples. Now, how do I know? If I'm walking around as a servant, or how do I know if I'm walking around as a master? How do I know if I'm living as though I'm owed something and thus ultimately ungrateful for life? Or how do I know that I'm in the right place? And there are actually three measures here for this. How we rebuke others, how we forgive others, and how we listen to others. This whole section begins back in verse 3 where Jesus commands his disciples at this point to rebuke and to forgive. This is where this whole thing starts. So here Jesus says this, and I'll read this to you. He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the disciples after this say, well, how can we do this? This is so so hard. Increase our faith. But this is what they are commanded to do as servants to the king. This is, this is their job, right? To rebuke and forgive. What is rebuking in this context, right? What, what does that mean to rebuke somebody? When a friend is out of line or not in accord with God's word, what you're called to confront that brother or sister. That's what a rebuke is. If you see a friend stealing, for example, you're called to rebuke and to confront that person. But the question that Jesus is raising here is not, are you rebuking, but how are you doing this? How are you rebuking? How will you confront that person? Will you do it as a king or will you do it as a servant who is only doing their job? If you think you're a king, if you think you're the master of the house, as a result, everyone around you owes you something, then your rebuke will be harsh, right? It'll be cold, and it will not be gentle. That's how you can tell. All right? Your rebuke will be demanding to you, 
not God, right? These people owe me something. They don't owe God something. But if you see yourself as the unworthy servant back in that parable that you are, then, then you that you are, then your rebuke, your attitude toward that brother or sister, it changes, doesn't it? Right? It becomes gentle. It becomes warm. It becomes loving. It becomes what? Gracious. Because you know who you are in the parable. The same with forgiveness. And these two things, according to Jesus, go together. We don't rebuke and not forgive or forgive and not rebuke. We do both of these things together. But he's setting this up to say, this is how you do this. Do this with grace. So if you think about forgiveness for a second, if someone sins against you personally and you think of yourself as a king or a master, what? Your forgiveness will be what? Short. If there will be any forgiveness at all. Why? Because your attitude towards them, how you think of yourself in a relationship to them, is that you are the one who is owed something here. How dare they sin against me this way? They want my forgiveness? We'll see about that. I don't know if there's anybody that's had a conversation like that in their mind. Certainly not me. That's the mindset of an ungrateful, prideful person who doesn't know his or her own debt. That's what the parable is showing us. Right? You think of yourself as someone ruling over others as opposed to being in service to others as the true king has called you to be. Why? Again, because you refuse to see your own debt. You don't see yourselves as the servants to the king. Instead, you want to be king. This is what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You want to know how you're going to do this, how you're going to forgive over and over again, how you're going to rebuke with kindness and gentleness. You're going to remember who you are in this parable. Right? That, that you are already in debt, or you are already servants to a, to a king, to a master. Oh, but he's a good one. All right, and we'll get there in a minute. But this is how they're going to be able to do this. And this is how you and I are going to be able to do this. So how is your rebuke? Is it gentle? Is it charged? How is your forgiveness? Is it patient, long-suffering, or is it short? Right? These are ways that we can tell. Are we, are we masters walking around thinking that we're owed something? Or are we servants understanding that this is our duty? And I throw a third one in there because I feel like this, is, this one's more important maybe than the others at this point in time in our culture and, and, and lives is, is, is who are you listening to and who are you unwilling to listen to? That is often an indicator of where you think you are and who you think this person is. If you will not listen to someone, chances are you see yourself as a king and the other person as your servant. That it's them that really owes you something in life. And until you get it, you will not love them enough to even listen to them. Instead, you'll think to yourself, does this person really know who they're talking to? Or what could I possibly learn from this person? What do they have to show me I deserve better? See how that works. How do I know if I'm going around living as a master or servant Leaving as though I'm owed something, becoming more ungrateful as the days go by. Look at your rebuke, Jesus says. Look at your forgiveness. Look at who you listen to. This is how you will tell who it is that you are becoming. So what makes us ungrateful, though? What makes us ungrateful is that we believe deep in our hearts that we are owed something that we are not getting, but yet we deserve. And that is ultimately pride in us, okay? So what then makes us grateful? What changes this? Well, and what makes us ungrateful, as I said, is that deep, deep inside of us, there's something that says that we're owed something, right? Then what makes us grateful is knowing that we owe, but we don't pay. That we owe, but we do not pay. And instead, we get something we truly don't deserve, and this is grace. 
when we look at this parable of the unworthy servants again, what makes us grateful is seeing ourselves as we truly are. Right? This is his whole point with the disciples. Don't forget that you are the indentured servants here. Don't forget your role, that you are in service to the king. That is, we only give God on our best days what he already deserves. Therefore, we see that God owes us nothing but gives us everything in himself in Christ. He is a good king, as we just said. He is a good master. And if God owes us nothing but gives us everything in Christ, right, then it's impossible for you to turn to your friends, to turn to your spouse, to turn to your kids, to turn to your boss and say, you owe me. How can anybody who has been confronted with that type of grace not turn to that person and say, look, I'm sorry. I forgot whose service I'm really in here, right? You see, you see how the picture is working for them and how Jesus is trying to remind them, put yourself back in this place. If we look at the context of of this passage a bit, we see that Luke is saying this to Israel and this is important. He's saying it to Israel first. He's saying, oh, Israel, you think you're kings over everyone, but you're really the first servants. You're the ones who grace has been extended to first as my chosen. Have you forgotten who you are? This is why Luke goes out of his way twice in this passage to highlight that the leper who returned, and we'll get there in the next parable, was what? A Samaritan. It's not a Jew. And even Jesus goes so far as to say, this foreigner. It's so intentional. Philip Ryken puts it this way. He says, even if we gave God perfect service... We would only be giving him what he demands and deserves. It would profit God nothing. Israel has forgotten they were indentured servants to the king and that their service to the king wasn't what God deserved, right? But new grounds for what God owed them. That's what they begin to think. God didn't deserve this, right? But these are new grounds now for understanding what I am owed because of what I have served, how I have served him. And we see this all throughout Luke, especially in these, the, you know, chapters 15 all the way up to, to, to 18 as Jesus goes to Jerusalem. But specifically, I want to point out one just to, just to illustrate this. We'll go back to chapter 15 that we talked about a few weeks ago. When we look at the, the, the parable of the two sons, and I'll, I'll use that because it's somewhat usually it's a pretty familiar story for us. But think about how in this story, how Jesus is saying the same thing here, how Israel, right, you, you are no longer seeing yourselves as servants to the king. You're seeing yourselves as one who, if I, if I do what I'm supposed to do, right, if I live right, if I go by the law, then it's not me that owes God anymore. It's what? It's God that owes me. This is what has totally distorted their mindset. And so back in that parable, you have the the prodigal son that we are more familiar with who asks for his inheritance and goes and he squanders it, loses it all, spends it prodigally, and then, you know, decides, I I have nothing, maybe I can come home and be hired by my my father as a servant at the least, at least I'll eat better than what I'm eating now. And so as he walks home, right, he's received by his father with open arms. Biggest party is thrown, the fattened calf cut, slaughtered, whatever you want to call it. Big party, big celebration, right? And a lot of times we stop there, but as we, we, we move forward and we realize there's another, there's another character in the story because this is directed at Pharisees. And the other character is that older brother and that older brother comes in off the fields and says, what is going on here? And there's all this news. Your, your brother has come home. And that's where we get to see the heart 
of this older brother, right? And we also get to see the heart of Israel at this point in time. That as the older brother begins to think about what is happening, he begins to get angry. Why? Because he thinks he's the one that deserves this party. And why does he think he's the one that deserves this party? Because all these years, I have not left your side. I have done what you have asked me to do. And yet you have never given me a calf to celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who squanders all of his inheritance, all of his wealth, who does the opposite of what I've been doing, well, you just, you just give him everything, right? You see it now, right? That, that's, that's the picture. What's the point? When you're an older brother... When you're an older brother, you walk around this world acting as though you're owed something. When you're an older brother, you forget that even if we gave God perfect service, we would only be giving him what he demands and deserves. This is who Israel's become. And don't forget that that warning also comes out to us too, the church. We won't get there yet. But when you're an older brother... You don't want the father, you want the fa- you want what the father can give you. And as a result, you don't see the grace of the gospel, which is that you owe a massive debt, but you don't pay. And actually in return, you get something that you never once deserved. And this is the only thing that makes us grateful people. I didn't have to send my, my kids to, you know, some of the best education in the world to teach them how to be ungrateful about milkshakes. Surprise, surprise. But as I gave you the outline of my life so far, I'm in year 38 just beginning to scratch the surface of what it means to be grateful. Why is that? It's because we forget who we are in the story. Our sin blinds us to show us to show us that we are not who we think that we are. We are servants who long to be masters and we rule over everybody, expecting them to give us the things that we deserve, that we think that we deserve. What Jesus is saying, no, 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 you are the servant. And the duty that you are called to is just that, it's duty. And we begin to see that, that when we go into the service of the king in that way and we get more than we ever deserved, our hearts begin to melt and they become one that is now grateful as we move into continued service in life. But if we remain older brothers, all we begin to think is that I've worked for this, I deserve this, you owe me. This is where Israel is, as I've said, in the context of both the parables together. Israel has become older brothers to the world around them, and they don't want to be servants anymore. Could we extend that to the church today? Is the church today more in the direction of becoming older brothers, or are we more in the direction of becoming the servants that Jesus has called us to be? It's not a criticism, it's a question. Perhaps one to explore later. But Israel doesn't want to be the servants anymore. They want to be the kings, the masters who think that they are owed something and no longer see themselves in the service of the true king who has what? Rescued them. And it is out of verses 7 to 10 that the parable of the lepers flows. A parable about gratitude as Jesus what? Heads to Jerusalem. To die for the ungrateful. It's beautiful. So what makes us ungrateful? We think we're owed something in this life we are not getting. What makes us grateful? We see that we owe, but we don't pay, and yet we get something we never deserved. 
Okay, great. That's called grace. Lastly, how do we change? What will fix the hearts of Israel? What has the power to turn the parable around so that instead of, of, of just one grateful servant, right, we have ten? Well, it's the same thing that has the power to change our hearts this morning, and that's the gospel. And what is the gospel this morning in this text? It is not seeing servants who um, are awarded the privilege of becoming kings. It's not seeing servants who do enough that the Father requires that he grants them status, right? It's seeing the one true king, right, the one true master become the servant and die for the ungrateful. This is the only thing that changes our hearts, that, 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 that moves us from being, becoming more ungrateful people to becoming people of gratitude. People who stop and turn around and recognize this is the true king and I'm in service to him. It's seeing the true king, the true master become a servant in order to pay your debt. We change, we move from ungrateful people who think God and the world owes us something to grateful servants who see all their works as service to the king Work we are supposed to do when we see the true master king, Jesus, become a servant to pay our debt. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. According to the book of Leviticus, if you had leprosy, you had to keep your distance from people while you cried out, unclean, unclean, so they knew where you were and what was going on. And this would warn others to keep their distance, as we said. But if you were healed, if you were cured of leprosy, you then have to go show yourself to the priest who sort of was this like pharmacy that checked you off the list and said, okay, you're healed. And then you can go to the eight days of ritual cleaning and then you can enter society again. That's how this worked. And so while the nine go off to find their priest, the one who turns around does so because this one knows who the real priest is. Who the real master is. Who the real king is. That has the power to truly make you clean both physically and spiritually. You'll notice in the lepers, or the, the, the parable of the lepers, that all of them had to have some type of faith, right? Because Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest. But they weren't, they weren't clean yet. It was in their going that they became clean. And then as the one notices, he comes back. And then Jesus has this, at the end of that text, says, you know, you are clean again in one sense, is what the text literally says. And what is he pointing to there? He's pointing to not just the physical cleaning, but the spiritual cleaning that only I, the true priest, can offer you. And it's the one who on Calvary, right? Jesus is the one who on Calvary will be the king who will become our servant to pay our debt and make us whole. This is Jesus. This is what gives us the power to change. And the question that we're left here this morning is, do you see that? I don't want to dig too deep into the parable of the lepers. I want that to just show us, like, where are we on that spectrum, right? Where are we? Who are we? Why would we keep going if we were the nine? But more importantly, why would we turn around? Is it, is it, is it because we see who the master truly is, but that this master has become a servant to us? Do we see that this morning? Right? Do we see how if there was anyone who was owed something, that it was Jesus? This is, this is what turns us around. After all, he lived a perfect life. He didn't deserve this, but he gladly accepts it because he loves us. Do we see that this morning? Do you see how if there was anyone who has the right to rebuke us for our foolishness and our pride and our hard hearts, that it's Jesus, but what are his words? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
if there is anyone who shouldn't have to listen to us or give us the time of day, and many of us believe this, it's Jesus. But is this the type of master that you serve? Is this the type of king that you serve? And we all can say no. We know this. It's not. Jesus bends his ear to us 24-7 because while we might go through life not wanting God, but the things that only God can give us, he still wants us. Right? He wants to know us. He wants to listen to you, as crazy as it sounds. Jesus' forgiveness, right? It is not short. It is the definition of long-suffering. There is no end to it. And Jesus will be the one who absorbs our rebuke of him. He will take it to Calvary until it is finished, and he will never say a word as he carries our cross that he makes his own to die for the ungrateful. That's what Luke is showing us in this parable. There's nine here he's still going to die for, right? How can that not compel you to want to follow this man? How can that not change your heart and, 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 and change who you are as you begin to see, wow, he did this for me. This is just Israel's problem. This is my problem as well, that he goes to die for the ungrateful. This is the master we serve, friends. But as it turns out, it's the master who has been serving us all along, is it not? What could spring gratitude more than this? What could be more compelling than news such as this? And may the grace of Jesus never stop creating in us, to go back to that Beecher quote, right? a humble mind that is the soil of which thanks naturally grows. Only the grace of God can do that for us. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this text, and we thank you for the illustration that it is that as we contemplate where we are in our relationship with you and with others, with gratitude and what we think we're owed, and we look at you and what you've done for us, the one who truly owes us nothing, but yet you go ahead and you die for the ungrateful. Would that compel us uh, to follow you, uh, to, to know you more, to know you in a way that changes who we are and how we interact with one another? and how we see you. We pray this all in your son's name. Amen.